Well, as Bill said earlier, we are starting a new teaching series called Outflow. And uh, the subtitle for that is Outward Focused Living in a Self-Focused World. Um, a lot of times, whether we want to admit it or not, um, deep down inside, a lot of what we do is about ourselves. Um, we, we do things to make ourselves comfortable, to make ourselves happy, uh, to eliminate pain in our lives, to, to do whatever is best for me. Um, and so often, that's not what God calls us to do. And, and not so often, but most of the time, that's when not, not what God calls us to do. Um, I know that, that as a father and as a husband, my primary role is to serve my wife and children, um, as God has designed it to be. Um, as a, a neighbor in my community, uh, my role is to serve my neighbors around me. As a, as a Christian, in the name of Christ, my job is to impact the world around me. I put myself last. That's what Scripture teaches. And yet the reality of living that out, we all know, is extremely difficult. Uh, the big idea for this series is simply this. And if you have your notes, I left it blank. You can take notes with what strikes you this morning. Your life is meant to overflow with unimaginable joy and power. Your life is meant to overflow with unimaginable joy and power. Our core text for the entire series is Romans 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you'll see this illustration uh, each of our weeks, these next five weeks. Uh, the, the idea of a fountain. You've seen one of those classic four-tier fountains? Have you seen those anywhere? My, my friends run a retreat ministry in Indiana. And an incredible story, but um, I'll save that for another day. But outside of the house, they've got one of these four-tier fountains. And what we want this fountain to do is to, to illustrate for you the kind of life that we're called to live. And so you see, um, starting at the top, the Holy Spirit. If you picture the Holy Spirit is that pipe that goes down the center um, of the fountain. It brings water up from the bottom up to the top, and it fills up that first bowl. Um, next week, Bill's going to be teaching, and he's going to talk about that first bowl being us as individuals, you as individuals. And then as the water fills that bowl, you know, when you first turn the fountain on, the water comes up, it fills that top bowl, and then what does it do? It overflows down into the wider bowl below it. And that wider bowl we're going to learn is our family and friends. And then when that bowl is filled, we, we overflow into the community around us. And then that bowl gets filled up, and we overflow into the world around us. And I want you to picture this illustration throughout these next five weeks because this is what the, life, the kind of life we want you to live. Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the next four weeks, you, family, friends, community, and the world. And this whole idea comes from Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Jesus is teaching to his followers. And he says these words, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for the, uh, the followers of Christ, they understood that that was kind of this concentric circles going out from Jerusalem, from their home, out into the world around them. And so instead of concentric circles, we're using the fountain illustration uh, these next five weeks. Uh, so kind of just sear that into your head. Hold on to this illustration um, of the fountain as we go through these next five weeks. Today, though, let's talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, my, my core, my big idea again for today, um, and the rest of the series, but especially today, is that your life is meant to overflow with unimaginable joy and power. Uh, do you guys remember as a kid, I've got a picture here, um, I don't know if, if your dad ever did this for you, um, go ahead and, I'm, I'm going to put Eric to the test, Eric's our, our media guy upstairs, I've got like 43 slides we're going to go through today, um, so he's, I'm going to put him to the test, so everybody just give Eric a round of applause this morning for what he's going to do, 
one of the unseen people, they, they sit up in the balconies, you guys never see them, and, and, but they're critical to what we do here. Do you remember as a kid, um, I don't know if you ever did this, but I, I would ask my dad to do this, and just kind of lock wrists, you know, lock hands, and he starts swinging me around and around and around, you know, and you get that point where you're almost going to throw up, and, and you, you know, yell for him to stop, and, and hopefully he doesn't, you know, catapult you or shot put you out or discus, whatever, uh, out of distance, and, and then you get feeling better, and you do it again, do it again, do it again. But that whole idea, I mean, you just, you, you know, when your dad's swinging you like that, you can't help having a big old smile on your face. I mean, it's just, there's, there's just this incredible happiness that is, that is overflowing into your life. And, and I think there's times where God wants us to understand that that's how He wants us to live. That because of what He has done for us, He wants us to overflow with unimaginable joy and power. And yet so often we know that that's not the reality of most of our lives. Unfortunately, the routine of life oftentimes sucks away the joy. Uh, we have to get up in the morning. We have to go to work every day. Uh, we have to, to do um, chores around the house. You know, laundry's got to get done. Dishes got to be cleaned. We've got to vacuum, clean the bathrooms. Uh, the kids have to be fed. The kids have to be clothed. The kids have to be educated. The kids have to be disciplined. The kids have to, you know, whatever. We, we go through this life of routine that seems to rob us of joy. And oftentimes we end up looking like this instead. And we're just bored. We go through life bored. When, when we call ourselves Christians and we say that, that we have this God who has done so much for us and, and is calling us to overflow out into the world around us, and yet most of us live boring lives because it's mundane, it's routine. And that's how we, that's how we view the world. It's, it's the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial, Time to Make the Donuts. You guys remember that commercial? Guy gets up every morning, Time to Make the Donuts. Next morning, Time to Make the Donuts. I mean, how exciting was that guy's job, you know? I mean, you watch that commercial and you just, you felt bad for the guy, right? Uh, Thoreau said it this way, uh, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And, and I think we can take that out beyond just the male gender into most people. Live lives of just quiet desperation. We know there's something more. We know we want to live a better way. We know that there's greater levels of joy and happiness that we can experience. But we live lives of just quiet desperation. Waiting. Maybe one day we'll, we'll stumble upon the secret to happiness. Maybe one day we'll, we'll find something that will give us lasting joy. Friends, this is not how God wants us to live our lives. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came to give them life and have it to the, life to the full. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. I love this passage. If you would, do me a favor. Just, uh, just close your eyes as I read this. And it's about seven verses. Just close your eyes, and I want you to listen to the words. All right, Bow your heads, if you would. Just close your eyes. Listen to the joy. Listen to the power that Paul promises us in Ephesians. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray. Oh, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go and open your eyes. Is that the kind of life that you live? Is that the kind of life that I live every day? Understanding what God has done for me and understanding the power and the wisdom and the strength that that I have through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit and through what God the Father has done for me? Is that the kind of life that we live? Do we live by the promises that Scripture gives us? I want to give you a snapshot this morning, uh, just kind of Old Testament and New Testament, some of the promises that God has given in His Word. Now, some of these were given to specific individuals at a specific time in history. Some were given to an entire nation. Others are lasting promises that He gives to everybody throughout all of history and throughout all of, all of future, throughout all of eternity. But it, they, all of these promises, whether they were given for an individual, a nation, or for all of us, all these promises give you a picture of the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God that we worship. And so let's just go through some of these. I'm going to have them up here on the screen for us. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, uh, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 uh, it says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. So here's the blessings. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, pretty much everywhere you go. Uh, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Your fridge will be full. Uh, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Uh, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Uh, they'll come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. And the Lord will send a blessing in your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. In Psalm 23, we know this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Matthew 11, Jesus 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you get a glimpse of the God that we serve? The, the God that we worship? The God who, who has incredible blessings in store for us? And yet we all still go through this life where we're just bored at times. Where, where we crave the wrong things in life. We crave things that aren't going to satisfy uh, for us. One of the greatest promises I think that, that we ever hear in Scripture, uh, Jesus gives us in John chapter 7, says these words. Uh, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, one of the things that we have to do when we study Scripture, and we've been talking to the high school students about this on Sunday nights, is you have to read Scripture in context. Uh, You can't just take a verse or two and and pluck it out and make it say whatever you want it to say. You've got to look at the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it. Uh, What's the context? Where was Jesus when he said these words? What was happening around him? If we understand, we ask those questions, um, we'll begin to better understand what Jesus is saying to us here. Uh, When we read something like this, uh, we have to ask the question, Now, why do I need to know that? Uh, That's a great question to ask as you study Scripture. Um, So one of the first questions that I would want to know out of this text is why why is he at a feast? What feast? What's he talking about? What what, what party is this that he's talking about? Oh, it was one of the three feasts that God in the Old Testament said that the Israelites should should do every year. This one was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, It's also sometimes referred to as the Feast of Booths or uh, Sukkoth, Sukkoth. Um, the teaching for this comes from Leviticus chapter 23, uh, 33 through 43. And, and there um, God details out what this whole festival is going to be about. It's a seven-day festival. It was a festival to remember the time of wandering in the wilderness. It was a time when they, they looked back in their history and they said, you know, God brought us out of Egypt and for 40 years we wandered in the wilderness and desert and we lived in tents um, we, we, we gathered our, our families together in these tents. And uh, in fact, I, what's, what's my next slide here? Yeah, Leviticus 23. It says, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. Uh, this is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. Booths are just tents. This still happens today. Uh, here's a couple pictures from Jerusalem. Uh, if you can kind of see them, I'm not sure. We might need to dim the house lights just a tad. Um, but you can see the, the booths here. It's just a, a temporary dwelling um, outside of a building there. And for seven days, people make this journey back to, or they make this journey uh, back to Jerusalem. And for seven days, they live in these, these buildings. Um, it's just a, a wood-paneled building. And the roofs are actually made out of uh, like thatch or leaves. You can see the next slide here. So you can see what the roofs look like. And for seven days, a whole family will live in this box. And it's all to remember what God had done for them as a nation, um, as a people, when he had them wander in the wilderness. Um, now, there, there's something else you've got to understand. Uh, he says, celebrate it in the seventh month. What does that mean? 
Uh, well, for the Jewish calendar, uh, that was the middle of September to the middle of October. That was the seventh month for them. And, and if we want to understand what Jesus promises here, we've got to understand the timeline for the nation of Israel. Um, we, we've got a diagram here of the climate in Israel. And if you look, there's really only two seasons in Israel. We have four seasons, um, five if you count construction. Um, we, have four, we have two seasons here in Israel, the dry season and the rainy season. Uh, the rainy season lasts from about mid-October until May, about the middle of May. And then in the middle of May, it just stops raining in Israel. There is no more rain that comes from the sky until you can almost set your watch to this. The middle of October, it's going to start raining again. And we'll have you know rain come down. And so here's this celebration that's happening in the seventh month, right in the middle of October, right on the verge of the rainy season hitting, but it's still dry season, okay? And now something else you need to understand about the, the most communities and most homes in the nation of Israel, uh, they didn't have a, a water source that you just turn on and turn off, all right? They couldn't go into the bathroom and, and, and the kitchen and run a faucet and water was immediately there. Uh, they had these things called cisterns. And it's kind of hard to see, but uh, that's basically a, a rock-lined hole in the ground. All right, there, there's no there's no water source at the bottom of it. There, there's no there's no hidden well that they're tapping into at the bottom of this. Most communities in the nation of Israel um, had cisterns back in the day, and if you could see down at the bottom of that, you'd see it's just a dirt bottom, kind of a little bit of mud uh, bottom. This is a picture actually from my trip to Israel last year. Uh, Todd Shire and I, one of the church members. He and I had the opportunity to go for 16 days. And so this is a, a cistern uh, that's at a, a place called Tel Arad. And uh, here's what I want you to look at. Here's the cistern. Here's the next picture. Here we are kind of standing around it. Um, you, you can see that's our teacher right in the center, our, our rabbi, if you will. Uh, we followed him and he taught all week long. Or, and so we're standing around. We're learning about the cistern. We're learning about this community. I, I took a couple extra pictures here, and so I want, you, I want to see if you can pick up something um, from these pictures. Go ahead and go to the next one. And one more. All right, now go back to the cistern, if you would, Eric. All right, so there's the cistern. Cycle through the pictures one more time. There we are. And here's the other two pictures. Now, what do you notice about the cistern? It's low. Why? Because the water would run down off of the hills throughout the community and fill up the cistern, which was typically the lowest point in the community. That was how they got their water, was rainwater would be collected from the hills and flow down into the cistern. My next slide here, this is my own kind of creation uh, diagram, creating a diagram here. Yes? No? I told you I'm going to put Eric to the test. Did it disappear? Next one's John. No. Really? It disappeared? I had some really cool diagrams I spent a lot of time working on. <clears throat> All right, walk with me on this. Work with me on this. So you've got a cistern. It's at the lowest point in the community. It collects rainwater. Um, what kind of, of water was coming into that cistern? Picking up a little dirt, a little grime. Maybe some bird poop. I mean, it was just seriously, just think about this. It, it goes down um, into the cistern, down into the bottom of the well. And in the rainy season, that well gets filled up completely. 
And so the, the community, you know, starting in November time frame, um, man, I can't believe those diagrams are gone. Um, starting in November, the, the community would come in and they just drop a bucket about three feet down and they get nice crystal clear water because all the dirt and debris and, and bird poop and everything else to kind of settle to the ground. And they go throughout their, their year and uh, they're hauling water out and they hit that dry season and their well's about half full still. And May time comes, and, and, and they can still dip down, they can still get kind of fresh water, and June comes, and July, getting towards October, or August, and September, and then October, which is the time of, of this festival, the crystal clear water is pretty much gone. And, and they, they dip their bucket down, and they get up not just crystal clear water, but kind of muck, a little bit of dirt, a little bit of grime, a little bit of bird poop in their water that they have to filter out. And so here's Jesus. He's teaching at this festival. It's the end of the dry season. And people are going to the wells and they're bringing up kind of disgusting water. And he says these words. If anyone would come to me, if anyone is thirsty, I'll give him springs of living water. Can you imagine what that sounded like to the people he said that to? Because earlier in the day, they had gone to the well and they got up this dirty, gross water they were supposed to drink with and, and do laundry with and, and cook with. And here's this prophet, this teacher, uh, this guy that everybody knows about. And he says, you know what? If you come to me, I'll give you springs of living water flow from you. Can you imagine what they're feeling at that point? I want, I want that water. How do I get that water? You see, the problem is we crave the wrong things in life. Here's an entire community in Jerusalem, and they're craving crystal clear, refreshing water. And we do the same thing. We think that a, a bucket full of the right career is going to satisfy us. We, we dip our bucket down into our well, and, and we think that having the right house is going to satisfy us. We dip our bucket into the well and, and we pull it out and we think that having the right clothes, the right car, the, the right image in our community will satisfy us. And the whole time, God's going, that's not going to satisfy. It may make you happy for a little while, but that happiness is going to wear out. And Oh, Chris, if you would just come to me, I would give you lasting significance. I would give you refreshment like you could never imagine. Lasting joy, lasting power. If we would only come to the source of the living water and we crave Him. See, I think there's a few things that God is calling us to crave. We need to crave a life that's supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Eric, I don't know where we're at now. So just kind of forward through. I might have skipped some stuff. Who knows? I'm thrown off now. What, what do we got? John seven thirty seven. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one, I think. One more. Craving a life that's spirit, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus' words again in John 37, 38, and 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, which we know everybody was, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he goes on and explains, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Jesus is saying, the living water that I have to give you is the Holy Spirit living within you. A constant tap into the greatest source of joy and peace and power and significance. We know from Jesus' teachings as well in John chapter 14, uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor or a helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name and will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Uh, we think of, of Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost uh, when the, the followers, the disciples, were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descends on them like tongues of fire and they begin to speak in other languages and, and a crowd of 3,000 plus people is there and, and they're all hearing uh, these people speak their own language, travelers from all over the place and they're hearing people speak their own language and Peter gets up uh, because the, the crowd is saying, these guys are drunk. And Peter gets up and filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, Friends, it's only nine in the morning. Uh, these people aren't drunk. And he begins to give this incredible speech to this, this people. And, and he challenges them. I mean, he talks about Jesus and he says, This Jesus that you crucified. I mean, it wasn't a tame little message. I mean, he's pointing fingers. He's putting blame on these people. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and this power has overcome him. And, and, and people respond. Acts 2.38 says, what, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And Scripture tells us that 3,000 people were baptized that day because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through him. I have a friend who's a missionary in China. And uh, if you know anything about China, you know that it's uh, technically a closed nation to Christianity. So he and his wife are there um, as students. They're attending university, uh, but they're also holding underground uh, Bible studies and mentoring and uh, building discipleship relationships uh, with Chinese students and adults. And they've been there multiple, multiple, multiple semesters. And if you can imagine, you know, you're in school for about eight years, um, somebody's going to start to take notice. And um, he got a call from the academic chair for the department he was in, and that he was a student in. And uh, got called in and said, you know, I want to meet with you. And so he's sitting down with this, this Chinese um, university official. And he says, you know, Mark, I, I've, I've got to say, I think you've taken pretty much every class we have to offer. And there was this kind of pregnant pause. And he looks at Mark in the eyes. And he says, what are you really doing here? And in that moment, Mark had a decision to make. He knew that if he told the truth that the university could kick him off campus and they could be sent back to the U.S. Government officials would know. And he said a quick prayer. And he just felt the Holy Spirit saying, tell him. Kind of reveal it. And so he laid it out there. He said, you know, here's, here's the deal. Yeah, we're students, but we're really here to share the gospel of Christ with this university. And the university official looked at him and said, let me see what I can do to help. And he enrolled him in another semester of classes. Because Mark listened to the Holy Spirit. And he was obedient to what the Spirit laid on his heart and his mind. God is continuing to do incredible things through Mark and his wife in China. So I think God calls us to crave a life that's supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. He also calls us to live a life that's filled with true joy and significance. You heard the Ephesians 3 passage earlier. Uh, just listen to the last part of these verses. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, I think there's things in life that we pursue that, as I said earlier, don't give us lasting joy and significance. And we need to come to the point where we understand what really does, what God is, is calling us to pursue. Um, I know of a, a young man in this church 
Um, I say young as if I'm old. Um, I, know, I know a young man in his 20s. I'm in my 30s. I know a young man in his 20s works for Caterpillar. Um, been there for a number of years now. And as a result of men's fraternity and what we've learned in that experience has said, my wife and my kids need me home by 4.30 every day. And so he's told his boss. He said, I'll come in early. I'll work through the lunch hour. And he does. He sits at his desk. He works through his lunch hour. He's out the door at 4.30. Uh, he got a promotion recently. And the boss said, you know, hey, you glad you got this promotion. Um, more hours are needed. And he was faced with a choice. Is my job the thing that is most significant in my life? Or my kids and my wife? And so he said, hey, thanks for the promotion, but I'm still out the door at 4.30. I'll come in earlier if you want me to, but my wife and my kids need me home at that time. That's the most important thing in my life. And he knows that he's going to risk promotion. He's going to risk salary increase. He knows that he's going to lose potential in the company because of this. But he knows that God has said, this is the most important thing. I, I had that experience when I came home from Israel. It's kind of in this like two or three week, just real funk. And I'm like, man, what, what am I doing? You know, what's, what's really the most important thing? And I remember driving home from one of Ethan's baseball games last summer. And it was kind of quiet. I didn't have the radio on in the car. And, and God just kind of laid in my heart. He said, you know, Chris, I can get another person to be a leader and teacher and pastor in the church. I can get another person to, to lead the scouts. I can get another person to be on that chair, be that board of directors that you're on to run that network of small group pastors. I, I got another person that can, you know, mentor other people and hold them accountable and, and do all this stuff. I, had, I don't need you, Chris. I was like, gee, thanks, God. That's real encouraging. He said, but I haven't called anybody else to be the husband to Karen. I haven't called anybody else to be the father to Ethan and Morgan. I can't get anybody else in that role. I don't want anybody else in that role. And so that's where I pour myself, because that's where lasting joy and significance. Uh, we have a guy in the church that he and his wife um, started a children's fund uh, to educate and feed and house children in Africa. They went over there, and they encountered this, and they came back, and they said, what, what are we going to do? Like, looking at their jobs, they had great jobs, and they, and they still do, and they're trying to figure out what to do in their life, but they realize there are children in Africa who, if they don't do something, will starve, be uneducated, and not have homes. And so they said, you know what, all this stuff, that's where I feel real joy. And every time they learn that money has gone over there, and then another kid has graduated, another kid has been fed and clothed, that's where they find joy and significance. What are you craving in life? I think lastly, we're to crave a life that's overflowing into the lives of others around us. Uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is calling us to let him work so mightily in us that it overflows naturally into all the people around us, into the world around us. Um, the, the snack pack program that we've been talking about, and we've got boxes out here in the foyer, um, that was started by a woman who went to visit her daughter in Seattle. I went to a church out there and, and discovered this, this program. There's these kids that don't have food on the weekends. And she came back and just, I mean, it really bothered her. And, and it, she felt the Spirit calling her to do something. She's a retired nurse. And she's like, what am I supposed to do with that? I've got no influence. She was, she was nobody. I mean, she's told me her story. She, she's like, I don't have any significance. I don't have any leadership. But she had a burden that she couldn't contain. So she began to start going to churches and businesses and, and making people aware of this need. 
And she's now got almost every school in Woodford County covered by churches and businesses that are feeding kids on the weekends because the love of God overflowed out of her for these children. Uh, We've got people in our church um, who spend twice a month, they go down to District 150 and they mentor at-risk youth. Uh, We've got people in our our church that are serving in local organizations. Uh, We've got people in our church that are being a shoulder to cry on for people in times of pain and need. People are going through uh, major illnesses, major diseases. Uh, People in our church are there, and the love of God is flowing out of them uh, to them. There's people in this church that the love of God flows so richly through them that they serve their neighbors, and they make a difference in their neighbors' lives and in their work environments. That's what God's calling us to do. To let it not be about us. To let it not be about what Chris wants and what Chris needs. But to allow myself, allow us to look to God and say, God, what would you do in me and through me? To make your name more known in this world, not mine. To make the name of Christ rise up in this world, not the name of Great Oaks. Uh, to, to make a difference in the people who are lost and hurting and lonely. What does that look like in your life? That's what we're going to learn in this series. We're going to learn their life. Their lives are not about us. They're not. Our lives are about loving God and loving people. And He has gifted each one of us uniquely to do that. He's given us experiences, passions, personalities, abilities. And he's saying, I want to use you to make a difference for me in this world. Next week, we're going to start unpacking that for you. As the band comes out, let me pray for us this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.